We are encountering silence. Encountering silence is made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. Please visit patreon.com slash encountering silence to learn more about how you can be a part of the circle and share in our efforts to bring silence into our all too noisy world. This is part two of a multiple part interview. To hear part one, listen to the last episode. Sister Kathleen, your quote about hope is the pretty mask of fear reminded me of a quote from Pema Chodron that I am struggling with, and I'd love to share it with you and with Casting and Kevin and see if we can unpack this together, because I think you're touching on a lot of it. So let me read this to you. She writes, hope and fear is a feeling with two sides. As long as there's one, there's always the other. In the world of hope and fear, we always have to change the channel, change the temperature, change the music, because something is getting uneasy, something is getting restless, something is beginning to hurt, and we keep looking for alternatives. Hope and fear come from feeling that we lack something. They come from a sense of poverty. We can't simply relax with ourselves. We hold on to hope. And hope robs us of the present moment. So I'm curious about, okay, hope. And then it seems to me hope's twin sister is trust, fear. And fear's kind of evil twin sister is despair. And then this whole question of the present moment. And I think the realism that you keep referring to calls us back into that present moment. So I'm curious, how do we find our path forward knowing that there's so many, I, I think, reasons for despair, if not reasons for fear, in, in the world that we live in today? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Paul, you, you're, naming, you're naming our spiritual dilemma as a, spirit, as a species right now. Mm-hmm. Mm as the human beings of the sixth extinction. We weren't around for the last one. Uh, You know, the last one actually cleared the way for the likes of us to to emerge and evolve. So we don't have a lot of experience with this. The curious thing is, is that this dilemma that we've ambled willingly on some levels and and totally unaware in other ways of looking at it is that it's so recent we we've only we've only been in catastrophe for you know going on a century and a half or so so you'd think ah we could do we could do a shift right we could do a turn well we know we must and we have begun I mean, that is the fact. For me, I feel, and this is hard for me because my nature is, I think, by nature, more optimistic. Mm. I do kind of spring toward, yes, yes, we can. 
Right now, I my prayer is kind of taking refuge in the shadow mm-hmm. of the wings of whatever overshadowed the whole beginning of it all, to be poetic, okay? Mm. Father Thomas Berry says, we cannot lose faith or hope. And let's please remember, Thomas is a radical incarnationalist, so he sees divinity operative in its body, which is the this growing universe. We can't lose our uh, real connection to the vitality that's brought everything into being, the genius that brought everything into being, the hard work that every single creature, which is part of my body, I am cell of their bodies, they are cells of my body, that all this, these cellular um, dimensions of this one planetary body we are, are working hard to get well. So I lean into that radically incarnate, visceral, physical, cellular kind of hope. We know that we've already, we've already, uh, we're in the midst of a requiem, right? We're in the midst of a Mm. requiem for so much. So we have to figure out, well, what does it mean for for the human beings of the sixth extinction to wake up? What do we wake up to? How shall we wake up? How shall we cultivate and nurture and sustain a new modality of human nature? And I think I, I am not fearless, but I need my fear to be my ally. And so in my silence, I've got to, got to somehow befriend that fear. Uh, it's not going to go away. I look uh, or, or listen to or hear the stories of the people that are getting hit first and worst, which are, are the poor of the earth, whether they are human animals or other animals. And my body gets a shock of trauma. Um, we've got to deal with that spiritually. We have never been invited to such spiritual work as we are now. We've been coasting. We've been we've been gliding. We've been playing. We, we made the wonder world, and we've been having a good time in it. Now something else is going on, and we have no idea what it is. So for me, I feel my spiritual work is to live within radical unknowing. Right. So my prayer is in the cloud of unknowing. Speaking of silence, you know that in the school of the cloud of unknowing, it's all about silence. Mm-hmm. Only thing that you let spring up is a passionate word of love. That's it. For me, it's also mercy. Mm. So we live in unknowing. We live uh, with fear as our ally and counselor. And 
we live with this kind of innocence, I think. I cannot stop going back to that little girl, Greta. Uh, she's not a little girl, but she is. She's the, she's the archetypal little girl. She's the archetypal virtue of hope in, in the sense of Charles Péguy's vision. She is the little one who ha- wakes up every morning with a new look in her eye. She wakes up every morning saying, how do you do to the poor and the orphan? Uh, she is the one who keeps on keeping on no matter what, because we don't have, we don't have assurance of the outcome. We only have the assurance of the urgency and the necessity of our willingness to gestate and gestate and gestate a new self, a new world. I don't know another way. I don't know another way. Ironically, I, I want to give a shout out to our brother, Francesco, Francisco, the fellow in Rome who gave us that wonderful encyclical mm. where he concludes the whole thing saying, and we go forth singing. Yeah. Got to go forth singing. Well, it connects completely back with your original comment that the silence shout a song to you. I really appreciate this conversation. And I I wonder, too, if it seems like there's two uses of the word hope here. There seems to be on one level, if hope is used as a stop. As in, I'm going to be passive and I'm going to sit here and it's going to stop me from confronting reality, as you call it. Then that is a hope that we need to let go of, that like we should not be living in that hope. And and I think that's what Pema was suggesting, that hope and fear, when it becomes that stop, that's the problem. But when hope is the unknowing, Mm -hmm. when it's the cloud of unknowing and and the song can spring forth, well, Mm -hmm. that's the hope we should live in. We should live in that space where the new can be born, you know? That's, that's the difference. And so I think when you said before, Sister Kathleen, about how those three divine energies, faith, hope, and love, when hope is that energy, when it's that divine energy of it springs forth, that's the space we're supposed to live in. But the other kind of hope is a fake hope. It's, not, yes. it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a counterfeit hope that we need to get rid of. And I think what... What Pema Chodron is saying is that you can identify that counterfeit hope because it separates you from the present moment. Exactly. And that's the realism that Sister Kathleen is talking about. It it disembodies you. It disincarnates you. Yes. I I think another way we could discuss this is what's creative, what's destructive. Yes, exactly. And Mm -hmm. if we're not, you know, if it's a hope that's ultimately destructive, whether it's destructive in taking us away from the present moment— or destructive in other ways, it's it's not the hope of divine of, energy. Of divine energy, right. So, and, and Cassidy, yes, I love to go back to the hope of our creative reality. Right. We are embodied, we are enmeshed in the creation the ongoing creation—it's not going to stop, because sadly we've 
brought a certain kind of flourishing to an end. We have no way of knowing what the next flourishing is going to look like. Life won't be impeded. And that, I think, is what we need to lean into. We need to lean into certain kinds of assurances that while really challenging the arrogance of our anthropocentric sense of things, how we know what's best or how we know it might turn out, we don't. But on some level, the creativity, the genius, the intelligence that is riddled through this entire universe is still functioning and operative, even in the traumatized earth that we're living in. Coral reefs in some parts of the ocean world are reviving. Uh, we are beginning to discover ways that certain, especially insects, are adapting in radically new ways. Everything is intelligent. You know, creatures may get their way before we do, because we need because our adaptations have to be conscious mm. and intentional and deliberate. And that's why something like what we're doing here, I feel like. I really feel in my whatever, my hara, my, my womb, I feel that my innards, that we are activating the new potential, the new reality, because this is how it's going to happen. It's going to happen this way, not in trying to figure out how to get to the next viable asteroid out there that may be able to sustain the likes of us. But what about those of us who are the servant custodians of this living, glorious mother who really is just needs us with her mm. to be there in silence, you know, and in song. And you were saying before, if you want to take the Thomas Merton uh, language and go back to the cre recreate paradise kind of idea. This goes right back to the idea that we are, if we're Imago Dei, if we're image and likeness of God, we are the image of a creator God. And that's exactly the language you're using here, that we need to reclaim our place in creating. And the silence allows for us to hear the voice that allows us to be a creator, creative, as Cassidy says, and not destructive. Yes. It's really an extraordinary vocation, isn't it? I mean, ironically, it may have been this kind of, maybe this kind of crucifixion or this Paschal mystery that uh, from in Christian speak that will awaken this next phase, this next phase of the human journey and human evolution. We have to evolve Mm. Homo sapiens, I always say Homo sapiens is over. Mm. Uh, it's, uh, we, we've, we've met, we've come to our impasse. We have to now really transcend our own nature and move into, uh, I've called it anthroposophia. Yes. Mm. You know, sapiens, we, we've, we've come to the limit of it. We've, we've uh. really thought that sapiens meant rationality, 
technology, manipulation of this glorious planet, uh, developing it out to uh, to accommodate us. But, you know, Sophie Anthropos knows something different. That iteration of the human knows that we are in this glorious communion and we are somehow the, the servants of the whole. So on some level, it's the best time ever to have been born. Hmm. I, I love that you talk about vocation alongside this and by the fact of our very existence, no one is exempt from that vocation. Exactly. And I think that that's something that's really important to listen to. Yeah. None of us are exempt from that, from this this listening and this doing in some cases. Yeah, very much a doing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. We do have a choice. I mean, we do have a choice. It's the amazing thing of this mm. other creature called freedom. Uh, we do have a choice <laughs> to continue it in perhaps an even more glorious Though humbled way, uh, we would be marked by humility. We would be marked by all of that. We would have our, we have, we'd be standing slain. We'd be, we'd be, we'd have the scars, just like. I'm sorry, I'm full of the Paschal resonances. Right. The week we've just come out of, so we'd be standing slain. We'd we'd know each other by by the scars. We'd be, we'd mm. be having to 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 explore those wounds, we'd be having to go beyond those wounds, we'd be having to become a new humankind. And that's, you know, that's the amazing thing of all of the sacred traditions. They're all in the, the unison of this one intention, become a new iteration of this right. entity called the human. Mm. I'd like to vote for Homo Misericordia. Mm. The, the merciful human or the the heart centered human, so that would be my that would be my vote. Homo Homo misericordia. You heard it first, folks. Here on oh, Encountering Science. Thank you, Carl. May I quote you? Absolutely. Yeah. That's that's for everyone. I everywhere. just love that. Yeah, I'm I'm a fan. I will do have to say that I am I am a fan of the Sophia Anthropos though. That does sound yeah. speak because it, I think what you just said about how. In unison, all the different traditions is a, are wisdom traditions, and wisdom mm -hmm. seems to be speaking about, like you said, this next iteration. That basically, a, a way to think about it, if we're going to be natural, is we're caterpillars, and we really should be butterflies. But we have to participate in that that next stage, you know, and that's the the wisdom path that you need to do to activate that, right? Um, yeah. yeah. Our conversation will return after this brief moment of silence. Please take a breath and be present in this 30 seconds of silence.
an amazing thing, uh, thanks to a friend of mine who decades ago, she would hand out, she would, co she would collect the little what do you call oh, them? Oh, the pupa, the pupa, the pu yeah. How do yeah. you say that word? Yeah. But the, the little the 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 caterpillar as it goes into its the stage, uh, yeah, the stage which Ooh. is called the negredo, really. Right. It 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 dissolves. Do you know? I right. mean, I used to mm. open the refrigerator every morning to look at it, and it would just mm. turn into this dark little stump of like a cigar butt mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden the next day you'd see this this sludge starting to turn into this incandescent lime thing that had a silver or golden signature on it with a black dot and then you just watch it for days and days and days, and it would writhe and writhe and writhe. And then all of a sudden, boom, out would come a wing mm. and another wing. Mm. And then it would sit on your finger with its little tiny, delicate claws as you brought it to the window, and it would make off from Mexico. Mm. And it knew how to go. I mean, oh, my God. So I think we're in the Negredo, but um, right. that's what I think. If we need, we need to really, really lean into the deeper knowing of thinking like a planet. If we could mm. just think like a creature, if we could think like a caterpillar, if we could think like these creatures who know how to get around this planet with two stops maybe somewhere to spawn again or mm. salmon that go up. I mean, the salmon are part of my totem. Mm. These, are, these are my totem creatures. Or the mockingbird that knows a thousand songs to activate whatever it needs to activate. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a very shamanistic moment. Yes. And yes. Thomas Berry always says this. We must really reclaim our ancient knowing and our ancient habits of being earthlings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. the, it's funny. My, we started this podcast and when we first got together, the three of us were all pulled towards silence in various ways. And as I've, you know, done my own personal work, I've been more and more pulled. This is why this conversation strikes me so hard is that I've been really pulled more and more into the natural and finding the silence there. And uh, for me, for the last about six months, maybe even longer, I've been this word wild, reclaiming the word wild. And I keep telling people that I want to recover it. And it's, it feeds into what you're saying here because it's not wild as in chaotic, but wild is this voice, this way of knowing that is naturally inside of us. That's this deeper kind of knowing that we all have. And it needs to be integrated back so that, like as Thomas Berry, so we can think like a planet, think as a whole. You know, mm -hmm. and that's, that's what the word wild for me means. It doesn't mean not touched by civilization. It means this other thing that we have access to. Wonderful. You know, and when we realize, I think that there are, I usually at this stage of my, when I'm teaching in class, I have one of my students 
who is addicted to his cell phone and has it out anyway, uh, Google just how much percentage of wilderness there is left on the planet, which right. is so minimal. Mm. Right. have to be that wilderness. We've got to be that wild. Mm -hmm. Thomas Berry says it's the recovery of the, of the wild, of wilderness, that we will be saved. And, and so does, you know, Aldo Leopold and a whole bunch of other folks, Thomas Merton among them. I I have a sense, it's an intuition, I won't call it hope, I won't call it anything more than, than this, uh, this uh, you know, this visionary thing we're supposed to be cultivating, uh, this dream, mm. shared dream we're supposed to be cultivating, which gets cultivated in silence and every other way. But I see a beautiful new iteration of the human, really a beautiful new iteration of the human. No matter how many we are, no matter what our destiny or fate, it doesn't matter. What matters is to let that be born in us. Mm. Sister Kathleen, I love how poetic this conversation is. Right. And I think it's so important to remember that this deep seeing is a way of living poetically and being in the world poetically, more naturally, more wholly, more organically. I wonder what you would say to someone who might be charmed by this conversation, right? Um, but then recognizes the hard work it takes to make the change, to become that new person, to move forward in that, that vocation that, that we all belong to. I wonder what you might say to that person. Well, I think I would say two things. One of them is that um, I, I am fresh from a session, a work session with my colleague, a very colleague, uh, Brother Kevin Cawley, before this conversation we're having, to we're doing presentation at Yale uh, for the weekend, and we have just created the scariest PowerPoint slideshow immersion <laughs> into mm. reality of our moment. And one of the things I feel very, very strongly, and it goes along with everything we've said, is that we have to take off the blinders. Uh, as Hawken said, Carl, you know, the pretty mask of uh, fear, we have to take that off. We have to look this thing as it really truly is. We have to look at it. We have to understand it and know it. So the first thing for me is that uh, the lexio that we have to do, the multiple lexios, or shall we say, stacked perhaps, one of the lexios is the lexio of this present moment. We have to know what is happening. We have to know what the difference between uh, a two-degree carbon rise or trying to bring it back to a degree and a half and what that's going to mean uh, as you as you unpack it and parse it out. I think we need to know that uh, because that's going to ground us in this um, strength where we don't blink. We just don't blink. If we don't know that, we won't know what the next modality of Lexio is. Okay, the next kind of Lexio is the Lexio of putting on the 
ecological mind, the, the mind of the one who lives in a resonance with the natural world, who knows how a planet thinks, who is beginning to do the shift from anthropocentrism to this ecocentrism, the concern and care for the whole body, which is what ecos means, right? The whole household. And then I think the third kind of lexio puts us right back to whatever is our faith tradition. Every single faith tradition right now is being challenged, as each of us is being challenged, to come to uh, the activation of our ecological, or as Thomas Berry would say, ecozoic charisms. Each religious tradition holds a new gift for this time. It's there. It's there uh, seminally. It's there waiting to be cultivated. So I guess, Cassidy, I would say that this challenging work uh, requires everyone doing it personally and communally. Both. It's both. Yeah. Yeah. So, Sister Kathleen, you've mentioned kind of the Irish or the Celtic angle or connection at different points through your story. When you were talking about climbing Krog Patrick a few minutes ago, you mentioned the salmon, that the, your totem animal, and I immediately thought of Finn McCool and the Salmon of Wisdom. And, and so I guess I'm just curious if in your journey of this kind of profound contemplative ecology, if you have any sense of your kind of Irish DNA or of kind of just the stories and the poems of the Celtic saints uh, or, or, of course, the sacred landscape of Ireland having informed your journey in any way? And if so, I would just appreciate hearing a little bit about that. Thank you for asking that. I'm I'm aware that your last name is Coleman. McColeman, yes, McColeman. But oh, it's McColeman. which is is Scottish, but a Scotsman is just an Irishman who went for a swim. So. <laughs> well, it's also a very very dominant name in in the part of Ireland that we're from in Roscommon. But uh-huh. yeah, I would have to say that my immigrant identity has been very formative of my life. You know, we came to the United States in the 1950s, and it was a very bewildering place to grow up for me. Mm. Uh, We came in the midst of a racial crisis, and and then we went on to to a war in Vietnam and everything. And I, I just kept thinking, do we really belong here? Do we really belong here? We had such different I guess you'd say worldview. We were poor. Mm. That helped to ground us in a a certain worldview, I think. But um, my parents were very, very, very Irish. And I know that the music came to me from that lineage. You know, I've had my DNA read, like 99.9% Celt. So... It was a journey to Ireland when I was an adult, however. When I would go, if we were to say, I'm going home, as the Irish say, 
I would be going back to my father's family who had emigrated to London, which is where I told you I was born. I was born in Paddington. That's where all the Irish people landed. So I went to England to an Irish ghetto, but it was always England. My little sister, however, always went to Ireland. She went to another side of the family, always went there. And she would come back from her vacations, and our stories were so different. And I always kind of wondered about what my life would have been had I continued to go with her. When I was studying, when I had entered the congregation, I, in the nuns, uh, the mistress of formation, the, our, mm, the one who oversaw our studies, said, what do you want to study? And I said, Irish literature. And she herself wasn't Irish, and she'd say, oh, no, there's not enough. There's really not enough. <laughs> so if you could see, I wish I could take you over to my wall. My wall is groaning with uh, hundreds of books of Irish literature, of Irish history, of, of Irish, uh, you know, ecology, of everything. So I'd have to say that during an adult visit, a, a return, I'd say, to Ireland was when I guess I felt my true, my true self open up. I, I, all, my, all my ancestors came to life and everything came back. And so I've been nurturing that. And I do want to mention one person whom I would say is a most, the most recent uh, nurturer of that, uh, what I would call a kind of really ecological Irish identity. The, uh, the Ireland that, the Irish that just want to, that just see God in every, every, piece of turf, uh, in the smell of, of cow dung, in, in the beauty of sunsets, in the, in the luster of the wind and the cumulative dance that the clouds are doing, all that stuff. That's where, that's my paradise. That's really my paradise. I, <laughs> having gone to Ireland, I feel more like an alien than ever, mm. because that is the world which I yearn to inhabit, and perhaps will find my way there again. But there is one person that I think is a discovery, thanks to a friend. His name is John Moriarty. He is a contemporary of John O'Donoghue. And O'Donoghue, I think everybody knows, is the great uh, poet of the of uh, Bannacht, of the Blessing Way. But um, Moriarty is the recoverer of this mythological or mytho, mythopoetic mind and sensibility. For him, of the indigenous Irish, yeah. But, you know... Indigenous Indians, by whom I mean the South Asians, uh, the indigenous native peoples, the indigenous uh, Germans, the indigenous Russians, the indigenous anybodies, 
have to all somehow find their way back to their maternal clay. And I feel that that's what Moriarty does in his several books that are that are available. He's not easy to read because he really is in that dream speak. Mm. But I do love him. He's very helpful. Sister Kathleen, one question that we like to ask all of our guests is, do you have a silence hero? Mm. Could be someone dead or alive. Obviously, we, we might have some hints of someone you might select based on our conversation today, but... Well, I know it's going to sound like a cliche, and, and it's not just because you prompted me to say I have to say him, but um, it would be Thomas Merton. Mm. I've been reading Thomas Merton since I was a young teenager. I was introduced to him during detention. I was, uh, <laughs> school. I was always acting out in religion class, and the nun was always throwing me out of the classroom down to the library. And the nun who was the librarian, we had this thing going. And she'd say, in detention again, Kathleen Dagna, I say, yes, mother. And she'd say, well, read that. Boom. Conjectures of a guilty bystander. Ooh. Next couple of days, she'd slam something down. It would be my, my favorite, The Sign of Jonas or mm. something. So I bring those books home. I'd go off into my, my little cell, which was my parents' bedroom. And then I, I joined the congregation. We had a lot of silence in those. I was blessed to have an old training. And uh, we had a lot of silence. And I had a lot of Merton. He was really my companion. And he just made it bloom. He made it bloom. Ugh. And still, still, he takes my breath away, you know, still, you know, that's the kind of thing. It's when the word pushes you into silence, which, of course, is what the shift from meditation or Lexio to meditation into contemplation is, right? It's when you go from the word into this cogitation or meditation about, and then all of a sudden you fall. It's a free fall. No word to hold you. No nothing. Just free falling into this presence, silent presence. So he'd, he'd definitely be my, yeah, he's my hero. There's something special about the idea, I, very precious, that uh, you're being, quote, punished by reading Thomas Merton. <laughs> I totally loved it. I thought... I, I mean, she was, she, her name um, was Mother St. Morris. She was one of my heroines. Couldn't wait to get out of religion, to get down into, you know, the little monastic enclave that she made down there. Mm, that's wonderful. It's great. Sister Kathleen, this conversation can go on and on and on for me because I love it, but we really do have limited time, and so we're going to have to say goodbye. I just want to say officially thank you so much for spending your time, your generosity here of spirit, the amount of information you gave today, uh, the how poetic you expressed it, the joy on your face as you're explaining it, is just a, a deep pleasure. So thank you for your time today with us. 
Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. And thank you, Casty. And thank you, Carl. And thank you to all of the listeners who are who are deepening in their silence. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We are Encountering Silence. I'm Kevin Johnson. To learn more about me, please visit kevinmichaeljohnson.com. I'm Carl McCollman. Find out about my work at carlmccollman.com. I'm Cassidy Hall. My website is cassidyhall.com. Please visit the podcast's website at encounteringsilence.com. There you can learn more about each of our episodes and find links to purchase books and other resources we discuss on this podcast. When you make a purchase through a link we provide, the podcast receives a small affiliate commission from Amazon.com. Thank you for doing so. Please also visit Patreon.com slash Encountering Silence to learn more about how you can be part of our circle of supporters. Our circle of supporters help tremendously in sharing our efforts to bring meaningful conversations about silence to our all-too-noisy world. Thank you.